You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, I'm Kat Zakreski, a tech policy reporter here at the Washington Post, and I'm joined today by Cristiano Aman, the CEO of Qualcomm. Welcome, Mr. Aman. Happy to be here, Kat. Good talking to you. Thanks so much. And we have a lot to cover today, and I look forward to getting to the chip shortage, but I wanted to begin with the impact of the sanctions um, related to Ukraine on Qualcomm's business. Qualcomm has said that it stopped selling its products to Russian companies. What impact has that had on your bottom line? Not significant at all. We we almost had no no direct business with Russia, and uh, the business we'll had will be indirect when our customers will sell their products in Russia, and that represents less than one percent of our revenue. So it's it's not a significant impact. You know, we all said what's happening. Uh, it's uh, unbelievable to witness this. I think at this time uh, in the twenty first century. Now we have not been impacted by the sanctions and uh, and uh, all of our customers have been complying with the sanctions as well. What do you think the long-term effect will be of these sanctions on the tech sector in Russia? Are you concerned that we might see some of your Chinese competitors move more aggressively into the market there? No, not, not really. Look, the, the Russian market, you know, it's, uh, when you think about, for example, let's just think about phones, for example. Um, the Russian the Russian market is is not that significant is not in you know um, in terms of the number of phones that they purchase as I said today uh, it represented less than one percent of our revenue the Russian market has been served by uh, some of the global uh, uh, smartphone OEMs many of them Chinese and what we actually saw which was interesting. Uh, many of those companies have global brands, and even though the sanctions would allow phones to be sold for consumers, uh, you know, as phones is one way for people to get information, it was we observed that some of our customers even chose not to sell phones um, and go above and beyond the sanctions. Uh, I, I I think the answer to your question is, uh, you know, the sanctions and uh, in Russia are, are very broad, and I think there's a big impact on, on Russia across all sectors um, of, of the economy, not only the tech sector. I think fortunately, as I said before, you know, it only represents uh, less than 1% of our revenues. And I wanted to ask you also about the situation in Ukraine, because Ukraine is a major manufacturer of neon, one of the components needed for chips. Um, how do you think that this war and the impact it will have on the neon supply, what impact will that have on the broader chip shortage? Well, the entire semiconductor industry has been monitored the situation. I would say in general, uh, for the past few years, as we deal with the supply chain, uh, you know, constraints and more demand and supply in semiconductors, the, the, the supply uh, chain has been looking how to build resilience. So, what I'll say is, as related to some of the materials, uh, it's not an issue uh, in the short term. There's enough uh, capacity in the industry. The issue we have in the in the supply chain is a different issue uh, that we just continue to see demand growing for chips as everything is becoming digital. Digital transformation is happening at at virtually every company, and uh, we continue to see demand going up and. Uh, 
and capacity needs to be built. So that is the issue that we have seen with the supply chain, but it's getting better. Uh, 2022 has been substantially better uh, uh, compared to 2021. Uh, a lot of the plans that we put in place uh, to build more capacity globally, you know, are coming to fruition. Having said that, I think demand continues to go up. That's really interesting because I know in an interview a few months ago, you said that you are expecting supply and demand to balance out by the beginning of the summer. Do you still think that's the timeline or is it <clears throat> longer? Um, it's, I'll, I'll answer that question uh, two ways. I'll talk about Qualcomm and then I'll talk about the broader industry. Right now, we did see material improvements in supply uh, in 2022 as compared to 2021. Uh, for us, has been a result of, of you know, reacting early to the supply chain crisis, which we did, you know, in uh, late uh, 20. Result of plans we put in place to build more capacity with our suppliers, and the fact that we basically redesigned products to make use of every manufacturing uh, process technology that was available. So for us we see a much better supply equation in 22. However, demand continues to go up and I can no longer say that uh, demand and supply are going to uh, meet in the second half of 22 because demand is higher in, in many aspects. There's demand across, uh, it's high across all of our product lines. For the broader industry, especially some technologies that are uh, being used in automotive, as an example, I think stability will come in 2023. And on that point of automotive, you had a big announcement yesterday about a new acquisition in that area. Can you tell me a little bit about that deal and what it says about Qualcomm's broader strategy in automotive? Absolutely, Kat. We're super excited about the announcement we made yesterday. So the announcement we made is it's the acquisition of Arriver. And Qualcomm, one of the fastest growing business for Qualcomm is automotive. We see a massive transformation in the automotive industry. The car is becoming a connected computer on wheels. And you look electrification happening, the car being connected to the cloud and the transformation that is happening of digital capabilities on the car for safety and autonomy and assisted driving, it created a significant opportunity for Qualcomm. Our automotive business, it's growing dramatically. We have now $13 billion of uh, contracted backlog and the acquisition of a driver adds to the Qualcomm autonomy and assisted driving uh, portfolio products we call Snapdragon Ride. Uh, we get with Arriver a computer vision stack and the ability to augment our driver policy assets. And with that, Qualcomm can build the most scalable, open uh, and comprehensive uh, assisted driving solution. And uh, we're very happy with the OEM engagement today. And it's interesting to hear you talk about that move into automotive because I think a lot of people might know Qualcomm as a company that makes chips for phones. But really, um, you know, in the last uh, year since you've become CEO, it seems like the company is actively diversifying in other areas. Um, one of those is, is also the metaverse. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what your strategy is and what Qualcomm's plan is for the metaverse? 
No, absolutely. And then I want to come back to uh, the comment you just made about Qualcomm, uh, you know, transformation. The metaverse is a, it's a huge opportunity. We we start investing in the technologies to enable virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality before it was popular. And and there was a lot of fundamental technologies that we develop at Qualcomm that enable us to be the platform of choice for every device that is going to connect to the metaverse. Uh, there's 50 plus commercial devices today for you to use with virtual reality or augmented reality, and all of them are running on Snapdragon XR on Qualcomm technology. And we, we see this trend of connecting physical and digital spaces. And that is, is the beginning of something very, very big. And it's not only for consumer. When you think about a metaverse, you can think about a new platform where you, you play games, you interact with social, probably an evolution of social, and it makes a lot of sense uh, from a consumer standpoint. Uh, but also there's a lot of applications in the enterprise. Digital twins of pretty much everything from training, education, how we'll do collaboration platforms uh, in design and et cetera. And uh, we see that to be a significant growth opportunity for Qualcomm. And eventually, uh, whereas devices are getting smaller, especially when you bring augmented reality and devices started to look like eyeglasses and we're, Qualcomm has shown a couple of reference platforms that devices are getting smaller, look like air, eyeglasses. When devices get to that size, that is going to be a very big market. And eventually it could be as big as phones. And we think that's a great opportunity for Qualcomm as well. Let me take a moment and I wanna talk a little bit about Kat, what you said, because I love uh, talking about this. Qualcomm has probably seen in the market as a communication company. And I think probably well known for being developing key essential technology uh, for cellulars, such as the key inventor of 3G and 4G and 5G and doing chips for phones. But the reality is mobile technology is going everywhere, everywhere. And as a result, the companies are a completely different company now. So in addition to continue to do chips for phones, we are always gonna be the company that defines the pace of innovation in phones. But as we see mobile technology transforming automotive, we're growing to automotive. Mobile technology creating opportunities with the metaverse, we're going to the metaverse. And then even PCs, as mobile and PCs converge, you see Qualcomm working with Microsoft on PCs, and then we have an incredible opportunity of IoT with digital transformation. It's definitely a different company right now, and company can no longer be defined as just a smartphone company because we're working with multiple end markets. And I thought that point that you made about the physical world and the digital world connecting is a really interesting one. And one many of us are experiencing right now as we deal with hybrid work. I know you and I were recently on a meeting together where some people were physically together in an office in San Francisco and um, you know others of us were on Zoom either from our homes or from the office in DC. And uh, we certainly had some technical challenges with, with that meeting. And I wanted to ask you, um, as you're watching this transition to hybrid work, how is that impacting this new strategy for Qualcomm? That's a that's a fascinating uh, question, really, because uh, what we learn with the pandemic, and now when we think about post-pandemic, 
in this hybrid work environment, and we talk about the future of work. Uh, that actually caused fundamental changes in the industry, and, and Qualcomm is probably well positioned to capitalize on this opportunity. And I'm going to name a few. You know, I'm very passionate about what's happening with PCs, personal computer. So if you look at a personal computer today, the number one use case is communications. You use the personal computer now to actually do video calls. Um, it's, it's, it's fascinating that it transformed the PC for the number one use case to be communications. And, and that work environment is changing the PC. Uh, you, consumers didn't want to worry too much about cameras in their PC. Now cameras are very important. Uh, multimedia and audio are very important. Battery life, mobility. The ability to be always connected with high bandwidth and high speed because you're going to use um, uh, data in the cloud. You're going to store your documents in the cloud. You're going to collaborate with others in the cloud. You, If you have a workstation in your office and all of a sudden you're working from home, you cannot carry the workstation with you. So you're going to do the computation on the cloud. So 5G starts to enable on-demand computing. So the PC for the future of work has been completely redefined. And if you look at our partnership with Microsoft, um, what they're doing with Windows 11 and now a Snapdragon platform uh, being part of Windows, it's showing that that opportunity is real for Qualcomm. That's one, the PC is changing. Other things are changing. Um, we talk briefly about uh, the metaverse and we talk about collaboration. It's very easy to see that if, if everybody is on Zoom, for example, uh, everybody has the same experience. But as you mentioned, when we had the last meeting in San Francisco, some on Zoom, some on in, in the Rio conference room uh, in person, it is not a great experience. So that is creating a lot of evolution of collaboration tools. And in some aspects, it's an opportunity in the enterprise for virtual reality and augmented reality, as you can basically have holograms and you have the same experience for everybody. But there's even more things. We see the home changing. And that's and that we saw with the beginning of the pandemic, and that's here to stay. The home broadband got upgrade. One of the fast growing business for Qualcomm is also our, our edge networking business. The home is upgrading to Wi-Fi 6, is going to upgrade to Wi-Fi 7. And in what's most interesting, what the quality of broadband that you have in the enterprise now is extending to the home because the home is part of the enterprise. So all of those things are creating opportunities for Qualcomm in our diversification strategy. And the, the future of work is really exciting from, from a technology standpoint. And I understand that Qualcomm is adopting a hybrid model itself and some of your employees are already returning to the office. Have you been trying augmented reality or any of these newer technologies to improve that experience? We we have actually been uh, developing, uh, you know, demos and in uh, in a lot of different partner with companies for applications, for that type of environment for collaboration. I think we have some demos here at Qualcomm, and I think that's going to be a very uh, interesting uh, opportunity. And uh, to go back to your question, yes, it was fast to send everybody home at the beginning of the pandemic. Now uh, we're bringing everybody back. We do have a hybrid work environment. I think we're all learning through this process like many other companies. But you know, just today, as I came to the office, saw a lot of cars in the parking lot, so people, I think, are coming back. 
Do you have any, um, you know, early lessons that you've learned from this transition? Any advice for other CEOs as they're dealing with this uh, return to work? I will, I will tell you from a Qualcomm perspective, we are an engineering company at heart. I think the absolute majority of our employees are engineers. We're involved in research. And I think there's incredible value of collaboration between individuals. So I think companies need to preserve as much as the culture as they can and find a way to keep the good things of the of the working remotes that we learn of the pandemic, but also get back to some of the good things about having the ability to interact and collaborate, you know, with people in in uh, in person. And I think that's what we're trying to do at Qualcomm. Uh, key thing is to continue to maintain this incredible culture we have of innovation and use technology uh, to make sure that's possible. You know, as as we learn how to work this way. And on the subject of the pandemic, you know, often people talk about the pandemic being the cause for the chip shortage. Um, you've said in speeches that you believe the chip shortage would have happened with or without the pandemic. Could you explain why that is? Absolutely, that is the case. Um, here's here's what I think it's uh, it's an easy way to under explain what's happening with the chip shortage. The reality is we are in the process of really building globally across all industry a digital economy. And I'll, and I'll step back uh, and Kat and I, and I look about what's happening with the cloud, for example. You see the growth rates on the cloud. The cloud is growing at a 35% uh, year over year. And uh, you look at the valuation of some of the cloud companies and that's because uh, the cloud economy is real every every company is digitizing adding you know uh, a lot of assets in the cloud make the use of the cloud and the contrast especially what's happening with qualcomm if you believe that crowd is growing at 35 percent uh you assume there's going to be billions of devices that are connected to the cloud and doing processing and send the data so and that's where we live we live on supporting those billions of devices, which is actually driving the diversification of the company. That's what we call the connected intelligent edge. What is this doing is really raising the consumption of semiconductors. And, and more and more, as we build this cloud economy and companies invest in digital transformation, they need semiconductors for that to happen. But I even gonna give you another example. Let's just talk about the automotive, uh, which is a great uh, example. We talked about that before. The car model that is launching today has 10X the number of chips than the prior model. And the one that is being in developed for to launch in the future has probably 10X the number of chips and that the existing model that just launched. So it's an exponential growth as we add connectivity and processor to everything. Also, artificial intelligence is really developing at a very high speed when you can put, you can make every device smart. And all of this consumes advanced semiconductors, consumes semiconductor for connectivity, and, and that's why we continue to see demand outpacing supply. And you've said you would like to see at least half of semiconductor manufacturing be done in the United States and Europe. Um, what needs to happen for that to become a reality? Look, 
we learn through this current crisis that it's important to have a resilient and geographically diversified supply chain. Just look at the current uh, world environment right now, and I think nobody will argue that if we have a resilient and geographically diversified supply chain for semiconductors is a good thing because you need semiconductors for everything, uh, for your car, for your appliances, uh, for your phone, for your computers, and et cetera. The reality is it's a good thing the United States and Europe they're doing to put a goal, the 50% of the semiconductor consumed by those two regions will be produced within the United States and Europe. And I think that's why you see initiatives like the United States CHIPS Act and the EU CHIPS Act. They're very important. In the United States, you have the United States CHIPS Act and the FAB Act. It's very important because the timing is critical. As I said before, demand for semiconductor is going up. So as a result, we know in the next five years, we're going to have to double the manufacturing capacity of semiconductors globally. If that's going to happen anyway, why continue to concentrate um, uh, the capacity in the same location, for example, in, in, in Taiwan uh, or Korea, and not just for, for planning purposes, you know, natural disasters alone, you want to be able to have a resilient supply chain and build that also in the United States and Europe. And I think those government initiatives are very important because you need to make sure the United States and Europe are competitive uh, for the industry to build uh, uh, semiconductor capacity for manufacturing in large scale. And I think that's what it takes. We're optimistic that uh, the EU CHIPS Act is moving forward. The United States uh, CHIPS Act, it's, uh, it, it needs to you know, get uh, a, a turn into legislation and get approved. But those things are probably essential for that to happen. You were just in Washington recently meeting with officials from the Commerce Department as well as lawmakers. Do you think that those officials and lawmakers understand the urgency of this issue? Absolutely. One thing, one thing that uh, it's it's easier to have conversation in in Washington because it has bipartisan support is the importance of chips. Everybody understands now that chips are important and it's a key uh, element of the United States economy. So I think the sense of urgency uh, is there is not only not only in Washington but also in uh, Europe and the EU commissioning and I think overall the entire semiconductor industry is working very hard to make sure that we have the ability to fulfill the needs of digital transformation of of the world going forward. How do you think that the recent chip shortage and the pandemic changed lawmakers understanding of this technology? I'll say uh, the, I'll answer the question two ways. The first, the chip shortage highlighted the importance of semiconductors. Uh, clearly, once when you could not produce cars uh, because you're missing chips, when you could not produce appliances because you're missing chips, uh, you cannot build more capacity in the data center because you're missing chips. All of this became very clear. The chips are really important. It is important to make sure we're, we're, we're enabling the right investments in this industry. The pandemic was a little bit different. The pandemic showed how communication technology 
it's incredibly important. And the communication technology and the ability to be connected actually enable uh, companies to stay productive, kids to continue to learn, uh, you know, people to remain connected with uh, their family and friends. And I think that became very, very clear that, you know, we're, we need a, we are in a connected world and the importance of connectivity is really paramount. And just broadly, uh, the Congress has become much more aggressive in scrutinizing the tech industry. We've also seen a lot of momentum recently around antitrust legislation. Um, what is your position on some of the bills that Congress is considering that would limit, you know, the competitive, limit the alleged anti-competitive behavior of companies like Apple, Google, and Amazon? Okay, uh, I'm not very close to comment, but maybe I'll just. Uh... Uh, speak a little bit uh, from Qualcomm and maybe a, a broader perspective. You know, we, uh, we're we very fortunate that I think uh, through, you know, the past uh, several years, uh, I think the Qualcomm business model of the licensing program has been battle tested, I think has been, uh, you know, validated by pretty much every jurisdiction in the globe. We also very happy with the outcome when we had our case in the past with the FTC. And I think the conclusion is Qualcomm has a very competitive license business model. And that's important because it had enabled growth that we have seen with technologies such as 4G and 5G, which is in, in, you know, enabling every other industry to benefit from this technology. And we, as a company that is growing, we want uh, a competitive environment, especially as we enter new markets, um, because uh, you know there's there's an opportunity for mobile technology to transform many industries. The other broad perspective is, and I will just step back and I'll talk from a very higher level. Like I said, I'm not too close uh, to to the proposed legislation to comment, but on a very high level. We are building digital twins of everything. Uh, it's definitely happening. You have your digital twin uh, in the cloud with all of your data. Companies have digital twins. Um, and, and you can range from, you can have a digital twin of a car as you drive your car and your car send information to its maker about the state of your car. Uh, you can also have the same thing about a power substation or, or anything they can have a digital twin. You see regulation that existed today to, to regulate uh, our physical beings, right? You have rights and you have obligations. It's only natural, it's only natural as we think about uh, everything being connected with the cloud and having a digital twin and everything, that regulation is also going to uh, make sure that rights and obligations and privacy and all of those things apply to your digital uh, twin as well. And I and if you look at things like the European Digital Markets Act, um, it's probably stepped into that direction. So I think that's definitely we're going to see more and more of that. And I think it's only logical as uh, everything gets connected to the cloud and we build digital twins of everything. You mentioned the activity in Europe. We also have a more um, aggressive FTC chaired by Lena Khan. Is that changing um, at all the strategy that you have when thinking about acquisitions and the future of Qualcomm's business? 
No, not at all. I, you know, we we have to we have been very vocal about this. Qualcomm, we're very happy with the strategy we lay out uh, in New York last year during our 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 Capital Markets Day. That we we outlined the growth opportunity for Qualcomm, not only in handsets but in automotive, in in the broader IoT segment. And uh, we're not at a place in our company that we need transformative M&A. But if anything, we'll continue to look for M&A to accelerate our own strategy. A great example of that is the arriver acquisition that just closed. And uh, I think that will continue to be true for Qualcomm as we look at M&A to grow our business. And uh, you know, I expect M&A to be an uh, important part of the strategy going forward. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time that we have today. Cristiano Aman, thank you so much for joining us here at Washington Post Live. Thank you so much. My pleasure doing that and great uh, seeing you, Kat. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.